Hello, and welcome to the Big Picture Social-Emotional Learning Podcast. Emphasis on big picture. My name is Nini White, and in today's episode, I share conversation with David Adams. He's the CEO of Urban Assembly, and he's definitely a big picture kind of educator. In this conversation, David explains the hows and whys of Urban Assembly's approach to building schools' cultures, which are 100% centered on developing students' social-emotional competencies for success in school and for success in their future careers and for success in their personal lives moving forward. In other words, everything is connected, and the Urban Assembly schools work with and through that fact of life, which might at first look like more work for teachers, but give it time. And listen up. By the end of this one-hour conversation, you'll understand why it actually means less work for teachers of all grade levels, K through 12. In 2021, David received the Champion of Equity Award from the American Consortium for Equity in Education. David sits on the board of CASEL, which, as I'm sure you know, stands for the Collaborative for Academic Social and Emotional Learning. David is an author of The Educator's Practical Guide to Emotional Intelligence, and he's a co-author of the textbook Challenges to Integrating Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Programs in Organizations. He is a civil affairs officer in the Army Reserve, and he holds a master's in educational psychology from Fordham University. If you are interested, this conversation is also available on YouTube, which I will put in the show's notes, that link. Okay, I love this conversation. I love it so much, and I am so grateful you're here to share it with me. Thank you for being here. David Adams, you found time to talk to me today, and I am so grateful to you. I have maximum respect for what you're accomplishing with the Urban Assembly, which is an amazing organization and that brings real value to, should I say, underserved uh, youth? Is that sure. Okay. And in the New York City area, but we're going to learn about your organization. I'll, I'll ask you some questions about that later. But right now, after having found you somehow on uh, the internet, I just had to reach out to you and ask you to tell us about your work with the Urban Assembly and your prioritization of social emotional learning. It seems to be really important to you, like not just because it, it's the new thing, but because deep down in your bones, you get it. So um, is there an experience in your life that made you feel that that was an important feature of kids' life experience that it be taught to them? Yeah. Um, I mean, social-emotional learning, as you know, is right now a very important topic coming out of COVID um, and looking at how folks um, have responded to trauma and remote learning. Uh, but the Urban Assembly has been committed to social-emotional learning uh, for at least uh, seven or eight years now. Um, and I've been committed to social emotional learning even before that. Uh, I had an opportunity to study with Dr. Maurice Elias at Rutgers University. Um, and he introduced me to some of these concepts 
Um, and some of the psychological uh, contributors to academic outcomes, um, into long-term outcomes, into long-term success. Um, and it turned out that the same kinds of skills and values and competencies that predicted academics also predicted good decisions in life um, and predicted effective relationships. I started to think about this and I started to think, you know, uh, imagine uh, instead of going through drug refusal programs or uh, teenage pregnancy programs or um, things like uh, just say no, imagine we could develop a set of competencies amongst young people uh, that could do all of the above. Um, and, and not only that, but also support their academic outcomes. So not only build community and build young people who can make good decisions and build relationships and have effective and, and effect a strong mental health, but also do better in school. Um, and that's where social emotional learning's research base is so unique. Uh, it has a research base that really demonstrates that even 20 years after exposure to these ideas, students are making better decisions. Students are more likely to be in effective relationships. Students are more likely to do better in school. And since then, I was hooked. I went over to the Center for Social Emotional Learning in New York, um, went over to Yale University's Health Be Emotion Behavior Laboratory, now the Center for Emotional Intelligence. I uh, spent five years in District 75 in New York City. Uh, really focusing on students classified as emotionally disturbed um, and students who were working with autism and all focused on this notion of these core competencies that have such long distal impacts on students' lives. And if we could get this right, um, if we could really develop these ideas, um, then the academics, then the life success, then the college success of young people will improve and our communities will benefit. Yeah. Um, I love that. Uh, I, I feel uh, how much, how deeply you understand those principles. Um, have you taught much in the classroom, taught all of this? In so actually my background is as a school psychologist, uh, went to Fordham, uh, did my master's in educational psychology. So um, most of my uh, interactions with schools have been on the systems level, working with schools and in schools um, to think about what kinds of systems uh, that schools could support develop um, so that young people were learning social emotional skills, applying social emotional skills and being successful uh, in the classroom and beyond. And when, <clears throat> during that period, is that when you came up with your uh, resilient scholars program approach to SEL? Yeah, yeah. so I come over, I got over to uh, the Urban Assembly after I left um, District 75 and I started as their director of social emotional learning. Um, and really we're focused on the gap between um, how schools thought about social emotional learning in terms of the research um, and what it looked like in a day-to-day basis, right? So there's a book by Neil Humphreys and he said it was called A Critical View of SEL, Social Emotional Learning. Um, and he identified a couple of issues. Uh, one of the issues was the implementation gap, uh, what the research said and what schools were doing. He identified a sustainability gap uh, the ability to maintain these, these programs and supports for, for a long time. He identified the gap between elementary school work around SEL and middle and high school work around SEL. Um, and then he identified a data gap. How are we assessing uh, our work to know that it is effective? Um, and so we looked at this, this book and we looked at some of the research uh, and we developed an approach 
that really spoke to some of the concerns that were happening at the time. Um, the Urban Assembly is a network of 23 district schools in New York City. And uh, out of those 23 schools, uh, 20 of them are actually high schools. So the first thing we said was, what does this look like in a high school environment? Um, the second thing we said was, how do we integrate these concepts in a high school environment across the domains of school life? So uh, we developed some tools that allow schools to look at social and emotional learning concepts as applied to instructional practices, uh, behavioral supports, social emotional supports, extracurricular activities, and adult interactions. And what we're able to do is help schools to think through the relationship between, say, a, a turn and talk um, and the SEL competency of communication skills, right, or relationship skills. And uh, we help schools to think through the difference between directly teaching these skills, which we, we talk about as promoting, um, or reinforcing these skills, which we talk about activating the social emotional skill uh, through an experience or a classroom interaction. And as schools go through that, they start to, to realize that they are already pulling on students' social and emotional skill sets, but may not be teaching the students the skills that they're pulling on or activating. And as schools work so that, through some of the tools. So that students can know that they know. That's right. Okay. Right. Yeah. And you said it really nicely, right? When we know what we know, then we can generalize and solve problems in a lot more uh, expansive ways. Yes. Right. When we have a concept, um, an idea, then we can apply that concept and idea beyond the place that it was directly taught. Right. Um, And the example that we had talked about earlier was a student who uh, we were working with and he said, I didn't know these were SEL skills until you told me they're SEL skills. But now that I know, I'll be sure to teach my child the same thing. And this talks about this skilled, conscious skill that he now has. And this is, I was seeing things in life, you know, and and I knew things were more effective, but I didn't have a frame. But now that I know what they are, and this is promoting SEL, um, I want to make sure that my children have that same frame so they're empowered to pursue goals within their intent and make decisions that reflect the things that they're trying to accomplish in the world. And in a previous conversation, you were talking about innate skills, natural born skills that aren't even maybe conscious. But once they become more conscious, then you have that ownership piece that enables you to bring that the the essence of those skills into maybe seemingly unrelated situations because it's yeah, consciousness absolutely. and you've got that metacognitive element dimension absolutely it's like when you're playing a sport and um and you watch video of yourself let's say basketball right um and let's say you play your game and then you watch the video of your game and it moves from instinct, like, let me just do things that make sense to me, to that metacognitive, let me see the setup, let me establish a schema in my mind mm-hmm. around all the players on the court, and let me watch how I interacted with that schema in order mm-hmm. to score the, the basket. Mm-hmm. And so when, when coaches look at this, they say, okay, well, here's the situation, here's this, here's this the, the schema of pick and roll or an inbound pass or whatever situation that you want to develop. And then by reviewing that, when players are back on the court, they're able to call upon those frames in order to move through 
that schema in the most effective way. And that's that relationship and the difference between athleticism, right? I can just jump to the sky um, and people who are really good at playing the game of basketball, which is I recognize situations that put people in a position to score. Um, so when we talk about SEL skills and we talk about yeah. the resilience Dallas program, um, we talk about teaching students how to be aware of the social and emotional dimensions of their interactions, how they relate to themselves, how to relate to the world so that they can solve problems in ways that meet their intent. So important and so powerful and what greater gift can we give to youth, which I understand from one of the, a couple of the YouTubes that I watched of you, you don't so much talk about kids as students because that kind of puts their, your relationship to them in a kind of a one room you refer to them as youth. It's a great point. You know, and, and Nini, our kids would say that one of the things they appreciate about the way the urban assembly is organized and our teaching learning strategies, they say that our teachers see us as people, not just students, right? That we're not just these academic robots that yeah. take in information and produce tests. Um, and everything from the fact that many of our students work uh, to the fact that they take uh, care of relatives, um, to the fact that um, th when we give them feedback on their social and emotional skill sets, they feel seen beyond their academics. Um, and to be fair, social emotional skill sets contribute to academics. Um, but our young people are young people, right? And they're going to be uh, the future citizens of our country and our citizens are not just academic robots. They're people who go to church and go to community functions and, um, and in relationships with folks. Yeah. And the better we are at schools at developing the whole child. And when I say that, I mean their ability to be college and career and community ready, right? Um, then the better citizens we will have in order to move our country forward when we have challenges that need folks to resolve conflicts, uh, to hear each other, to listen, um, and to relate to each other in ways that are constructive. This is one of the many reasons that I really, really wanted to talk to you, because you bring to awareness and help us to know that we know that, yeah, we all want to be treated like not just as students or not just as teachers, but as human beings. And if we can make that more of a full circle of interactions, that just makes sense to everybody. And as soon as you know that, you can't not know it. <laughs> and you, you, it's easier to start relating in that way from that bigger picture perspective, you know. It is. I mean, th this is not rocket science, um, but it is challenging to... Um, to communicate and to incorporate and to integrate um, because it's a lot easier to see people as one dimensional uh, subjects, right? Um, and when you meet somebody for dinner uh, and we wanna talk about a, a business deal, um, you get to know that person. And then you think about how that person and that business deal interact with each other and build rapport. And folks are like, yeah, you know, this is, this is a good relationship. Um, and that's the, it's the case for all of human interactions, right? We care about people who care about us. Um, and we care about the things that people who care about us care about. So 
the more able we are to see students as young people who are moving through the world um, and who are benefiting from um, the spectrum of adult inputs from teachers mm -hmm. to coaches uh, to pastors to uh, the bus driver, the bus driver, right? Each each one of us are contributing to that young person's ability to relate to themselves and others and solve problems. Mm -hmm. um, and and that's where I think uh, we do well. And when we when we think about things in that way, and I think when we create a single dimension of a young person, then when they struggle in that single dimension, they question who they are in the world. Um, and that leads to, I think, a lot of challenges um, in terms of how they solve problems within, you know, whether it's a D on a test uh, to a relationship breakup. Um, the goal is to relate to people in, in as wide a way as possible so that they have a lot of different understandings of who they are and bring those understandings to bear when life is difficult or challenging or when they need to solve problems um, that they may not have been taught with regards to equal signs and, and uh, one plus one equals two. Oh God, I love this so much because we are multidimensional beings and to have that acknowledged, I, I just, I just am so happy for the students that you're, you're overseeing. I just think it's such a beautiful thing. Um, I also know that you are very much prioritizing in this whole big picture approach to social emotional learning, family engagement. Woo <laughs> So then when you do that, you do it with um, bringing together teachers, administrators, other families, and the school community at large. Have I got this right? Mm -hmm. And um, so I'm wondering how this gets organized without people feeling like, oh, my God, I have to go to another meeting. Oh, my God. Oh my God. Like, are you able to organize it with, with people feeling like, okay, let's do this. This is a good thing for everybody. Yeah, I mean, I think this has been um, a good example of how we rely on the ingenuity of our school leaders and our teachers to help us solve problems, right? So one of the things that we look at when we plan around social emotional learning is this question of how families will be engaged in these concepts. And different schools have widely different ways of solving for that. Mm. One of the coolest ones that I really like is when schools use student-led conferences, um, to have students really talk to their parents about their strengths and challenges. Because not only does it engage parents in um, the social emotional processes, but it also builds self-awareness for students, right? And their communication skills. Um, and so leadership I, I really- skills. And their leadership skills. Yeah. Um, so I really love that example uh, of student-led conferences because um, it, 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 I think it's a really nice bang for your buck. Um, other examples is that parents will come to sit in and mock SEL class in like a 10 minute version of it so that they can get a sense of the kinds of skills that they're being taught our, our young people. Um, we engage parents with regards to uh, giving them an opportunity to understand the assessment tools that we use to give students feedback on their social emotional skills. Um, essentially, what we do is we sit with schools and we sit with schools um, at the Urban Assembly and beyond and we say, you tell us what the best way to engage parents are is around these ideas of social and emotional learning. And the school would say, you know, we have this assembly, for example, and parents really love to see their kids on stage. 
I think that we could take the first minute, 10 minutes of that assembly and help parents to see what social emotional skills students will be demonstrating in this assembly and give them an opportunity to interact. Um, and so in that way, we are, I would say like uh, vacuums of knowledge <laughs> and we share the knowledge that our schools develop and other schools with the schools within the network so that it's socialized quickly and the new ways of engaging parents are spread across the network um, so that each person doesn't have to reinvent the wheel in terms of some of these concepts. So I know that some parents are not used to being invited into situations like this, or maybe they don't have time, but mostly they're not maybe used to, do you have a specific, uh, a different set of parents that none of them are reticent or shy or unaccustomed to being treated like this? Or how do you overcome that challenge if you do? Yeah, I mean, again, I think it's a school by school basis. Um, mm -hmm. in, in, in New York, we have schools in three different boroughs, um, Manhattan, uh, the Bronx and Brooklyn and um, each parent community is different. Um, and so we are not uh, wants to dictate to our schools how to engage our parents in different ways. Um, there are some principles that we rely on, right? So as I said before, um, we rely on this idea of proactively communicating with our parents, um, giving our way? parents- In what way? Well, so an example is um, when students do their social emotional learning assessments, uh, the parents have an opportunity to understand what those assessments look like, uh, can ask questions, um, like, and can engage in the schools around those. Like what, what kind of things are assessed specifically? So uh, the Urban Assembly across New York City, the DESA is used to give students feedback on nine dimensions of their social emotional competence, things like self-awareness, self-management, their responsibility. Um, we look at their collaborative behavior, their relationship skills, and here in the Urban Assembly, what we do is we sit with those students um, and we debrief with them and give them an opportunity to agree or disagree with how the teacher understands their social emotional competence, set goals, and then work towards um, mastery of those goals over a three-month period. Um, and so as that process moves forward, talking to parents, having parents uh, work with students to identify their strengths and challenges, having students talk to each other, uh, those are some ways that parents are engaged in that process so that the relationship between what students are doing in school around social emotional learning when parents are doing at home is in sync, it's synchronized. Um, I will say that every parent I've ever met cares about the social and emotional development of their young person. It may not look the same, we may not use the same processes and mechanisms, um, but when we start to have a conversation and say, our goal is to ensure that students can collaborate Parents are like, yeah, I can see that. I understand that. At home, I do this by da 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 da. You're like, great. At school, we do this by da 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 da. And so that gives us a common language, so that we can work together mm -hmm. to graduate mm -hmm. young people who are collaborating effectively, not just in school but also in life. And so, one of the concerns that I have is a child, a youth, a child has challenges collaborating mm -hmm. or cooperating or being responsible. What this is where the training of the teachers probably comes in and maybe some family training too, but I don't know. I'm just assuming that how, how do you make sure that there's never any shame, but the construction is the, the corrections are always constructive and helpful rather than maybe 
help kids shut down, uh, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. Uh, there's a couple of things we do. Uh, the first is our assessments are strength-based, which means we're not identifying um, what students are doing poorly. We're identifying the frequency uh, of students demonstrating a skill or a competency. And so uh, what we want to do at all times is increase the amount of time that they demonstrate that skill or competency. Um, and that allows students to see that uh, what they need to do is do more of something, not do less of something, mm -hmm. right? Um, and that's a really important concept and, and principle because um, when you're doing more of something, it means that it's already within your power to demonstrate we just need to get you to a level where you're doing it at a consistent basis. So the, uh, the analogy I sometimes use, it comes from our director of SEL. And he said, you know, social emotional skills are like abs. Everybody has them, but sometimes we got to work out a little bit so that the world <laughs> can see them. Right. Um, and it's true. We all have <laughs> abdominal sure. muscles. Uh, sure. This may be covered by many things. They may be covered by trauma. They may be covered by uh, uh, difficulty in terms of executing and so when we talk to our kids, we talk about how do we, how do I see more of this? How do I see more of the thing that you have um, so that I can, I can give you that feedback and, and, and you can show me that this is something that you do well. Um, so that's the first thing on that is we want to see more of things, not less of things. Um, the second thing I think is naming the skill and we're talking about framing really helps young people to identify what they're doing. And I'll give you an example. Um, personal responsibility is, is a concept that sometimes falls under self-awareness in SEL. And uh, what we do with students is we say, um, teacher will give you some feedback on how often you remember important things, for example. And a student may say, you know, I see that you put here sometimes, but in fact, like I dropped my my kid brother or kid sister off to school every single day. And I really do remember that important thing. And so the conversation is, oh, wow, you know, you really are demonstrating high level responsibility. I wonder what that could look like in the classroom. I wonder what that could look like on a consistent basis with your homework. Mm -hmm. Or tell me about what allows you to be so responsible when you're dropping off your sister, because I know she really depends on you, but you really struggle to demonstrate that when you are, you know, bringing your homework assignments. And let me tell you for the record, I was not a good homework kid growing up. Um, and probably I'm not a pretty a good homework kid now. Um, me, so too. It's these, me too. <laughs> it's these conversations about um, lifting the things that already exist up. We talk about enhancing social emotional skill sets, diversifying social emotional skill sets. Um, we don't necessarily say like a student lacks an SEL skill, um, we say that a student is in need of development, uh, the student would benefit from enhancing. Um, and these are small things, but they're important things because it says to a young person, I'm starting from a place of success yeah. versus a place of deficit. Right. Um, and everybody has a lot of these social emotional skills, right? So let's just, an example of self-management. People will say, well, this student lacks self-management. Well, that's not true, right? they have self-management skills, they may need to increase the frequency in which they display them, right? But that's different from saying, I don't have self-management. Right. They got out of bed this morning, didn't they? Right? Right. It tells you they have self-management. Right. So those are some of the, the ways we think about these skills. And that's why when we talk about that resilience scholars portal, 
it's so important and because it allows students and teachers to start to see how often we're activating these skills um, and teaching these skills, which allows us to see these skills across the range of the school domain. I mean, a real quick example of this is uh, extracurricular activities, right? Um, you know, you may show up to basketball uh, every day because you like basketball. Um, and that may tap into personal responsibility and decision-making skills. And that gives a sense that like, wow, when it comes to basketball, I'm actually on time, ready to go. And I don't want to let my teammates down. But when it comes to homework assignments, I'm less invested in that. So then it's not a question of, do I have responsibility or don't? It's how come I'm able to display it here, but I struggle to display it here. And that's a conversation worth having with young people. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. That's so uplifting and expanding and doable when you put it in that lens. Yeah. Look at it through that lens. I love that. So a big, 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 big challenge these days is this whole um, racism, confronting it, dismantling it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big piece of why Urban Assembly was uh, big, uh, 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 created. Is, am I right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, we're talking about enhancing the economic and social mobility of young people. Um, yeah. And by improving a public education and racism constrains uh, folks' ability to have economic advancement. Racism, racism constrains um, our ability to educate our young people to uh, give their talents to their community and to their world. And so, um, yeah, I mean, the Urban Assembly exists to remove the constraints uh, that um, stop young people from being the best version of themselves. So until um, I didn't really understand when I heard those words that you just said uh, until George Floyd died, mm. was murdered, and I started looking into it, really, what, what is happening here that keeps happening? Mm. And um, so when you say, you know, I'm just, when I hear you say those words that um, children you know, of color have a harder time, you know, with those moving forward and advancing in this country. I didn't understand it. It just, I'm sorry, I had a very typical white privileged unawareness of why that was so. And um, it makes me sick to tell you that, but I think it needs to be said from a very white perspective to know that we can look at it from a different perspective. And I want you to unpack that a little bit more, why that is a fact and why it needs to be looked at directly without any guilt. We don't need to, white people, I've been assured 100,000 times by black people that I don't need to feel guilty, but I do need to understand. Mm. And I do need to be able to look at it so that you know I can do my part in addressing it. So. Could you unpack that challenge that you described just a minute ago, please? Sure. Um, We live in a country um, that at the time was revolutionary for a lot of ideas. Um, The the focus on uh, ensuring that class and royalty was not the operating principle by which the United States was founded on, um, 
the the focus on freedoms of speech, um, all these things were really revolutionary at the time. Um, and yet, even at that moment, African Americans were excluded from the notion of community. When the Constitution says uh, to form a more perfect union, um, we know that the Dred Scott decision um, in the 1800s explicitly removed African Americans from that union. Um, insofar as the decision said that Black people were never meant to be citizens of this country. Um, and so that line of racism um, and the, the implications of that line of racism um, infected every institution of our country mm-hmm. and, and, and specifically education, right? Um, mm-hmm. In fact, the, one of the first laws that were passed, uh, particularly in, a, in the South in terms of places like South Carolina, um, around education were laws prohibiting um, uh, enslaved people, the teaching of reading and writing to enslaved people mm-hmm. um, under the penalty of death, not only to the people who were learning, but the people who were teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the question so the question is today, uh, how do we continue to live up to the concepts of perfecting our union? Mm-hmm. Um, and how do we ensure that that union is inclusive of all Americans? Um, and I think here is a role that there's an important role that social and emotional skills plays um, in building a sense of community that is inclusive of all of our citizens. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the questions we ask ourselves is how do we resolve conflicts? Um, And that doesn't just have to be in an interpersonal sense. It's also in these big questions of what are due African-Americans for the oppression that they suffered? Um, and how do we balance that with the importance of moving forward? Mm-hmm. Um, what does it mean to have different communities who are competing for resources in our country? And how do we navigate that competition in a way that's constructive versus destructive? Mm-hmm. Um, what's the role of listening? Uh, obviously, we know um, many countries like Rwanda and South Africa mm. have prioritized things like truth and reconciliation committees and, and uh, to really focus on listening um, in order to make amends um, for the injustices and the pains that have been visited upon people, right? And what role does that play in, in societal healing? And so while I don't have an answer to the question of uh, what will it take to move forward in community, I do know that these concepts and these skills uh, are important to the equation. Um, The more we listen, and and Nina, you talked about um, not being exposed to the reality of what racism looked like. Um, And a lot of that has to do with our segregation, uh, uh, how housing is segregated, the the ability of folks uh, to be cloistered in really specific racial patterns of of life. Um, That has to do with school segregation, it has to do with residential segregation, but if we were able to really invest in a sense of community that allowed people to hear each other, we'd be a lot less likely to be surprised when somebody said this experience really hurt me. And I'll give you one example of that in a gender terms when I was in college. I remember I grew up with two brothers, um, John Paul and Patrick Adams. And I was uh, hanging out and it was dark like it is here. 
and a young woman was going out and she grabbed her keys and she kind of like put them in like a I'm going to stab you away. And she grabbed her mace. And I was like, oh, where are you going? You know, it looks like you're going to go murder somebody. She's like, I'm just going out to the car. And I was like, oh, well, why do you have all of these weapons? She's like, well, I'm going out to the car. I don't feel safe, right? You don't know what's good out there. And I just had not even considered that level of safety because I didn't have any sisters growing up. So mm-hmm. I was not aware of the relationship between uh, darkness going out to your car and, mm-hmm. and many women's sense of their safety. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, mm-hmm. because I was friends with women uh, and I was able to listen, I was able mm-hmm. to have a sense of a perspective that may not be my perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think as we think about the role SEL is going to play in um, at least providing the skill sets so that folks can hear, uh, can take the perspective, can build community is important. And the question is going to continue to be, are, are folks willing to use those skills on behalf of a sense of our, our, our union? Um, or are they um, not going to take the skills that we developed um, and deploy them on behalf of our entire American community? Mm. It's big. It's very, very big. But uh, I, I just so much appreciate that your urban assembly is, is so powerfully focused on that element that's essential. Um, yeah. The listeners of this podcast are educators, school administrators, care providers, and parents of mostly younger kids, you know, like K through 12. I mean, mm-hmm. K through sixth grade. So you've mostly been referring to experiences with middle and upper school kids. And I think I want, want my audience to hear about all of that so they can get a vision of, of very productive possibilities for their, the youth that they're having in their lives. But do you have any plans for, yeah, I want to hear yeah. about what you're doing for younger kids. Yeah, actually, so we're really happy to say that um, a lot of the tools that the Urban Assembly has innovated around um, have been incorporated into a, an approach to SEL in New York City called Strong Resilient NYC. Uh, we're a partner to that. And so um, our tools right now are in 1,600 schools in New York City and affecting the lives of about a million kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really scaled from the example that the Urban Assembly network of schools was able to uh, provide a proof of concept for. Mm-hmm. Um, so not only do we work directly with elementary schools in our partner um, districts like Los Angeles or East Orange, New Jersey, or Windsor, Connecticut, or Virginia Department of Juvenile Justice, um, but we've also supported places like New York City in thinking through constructing um, and designing an approach to SEL that is uh, citywide and impacting um, hundreds of thousands of kids and tens of thousands of schools. Little kids. Little kids, big kids. Yeah, uh, yeah. Tied kids, you know, uh, any, any, anyone who, who, who's in a school right now in New York City has had an opportunity to think about um, some of the concepts as we, as we put them forth. So this must involve a lot of teacher training. So what does that look like? Yeah, so uh, the teachers, um, about 75,000 teachers um, had an opportunity to do a Fundamentals of Social Emotional Learning interactive um, online webinar uh, that we had put together and developed. Um, And then we also trained about uh, 4,500 teachers 
um, and administrators and guidance counselors and social workers, for example, um, who were certified in a more extensive principles of social and emotional learning um, program, which is about 13 to 15 hours. Uh, so they had an opportunity to take quizzes, to take a test, to reflect on their knowledge. And those are folks who are going to be the implementation leads, and they're going to be really um, ensuring that these principles of social and emotional learning are embedded and integrated across New York City schools. Did you have the feeling that those people were um, kind of on fire, that they felt it in their bones? I mean, because I think I, I've really noticed that that's what it takes. It can't just be here. It has to be like, oh, yes, this is what I want for the kids. This is what the kids need. I mean, I, I do tend to get a little emotional, excuse me, but. <laughs> well, no, I mean, you feel it in your bones. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think every educator knows that social and emotional development is an important aspect of our schools. Um, I, I wish every educator did. Some of them they, resist it. They, they know. They may struggle with how to implement it. They may mm. struggle with time and mm. uh, how they understand competing priorities. Mm. Um, mm. But as we said before, if you're a pre-K teacher and you're using stations, um, you're activating social emotional skills, you're developing self-management, you're developing decision-making skills. The question is, how well have we taught students to activate those skills? If you are a middle school teacher and you are assigning homework, you are activating personal responsibility and self-management skills as well as goal-directed behavior. So I don't know that any teacher in New York City or beyond would ever say that um, I don't or I've not uh, activated social emotional dimensions of learning in my classroom because it's impossible to teach without those dimensions. Um, our job is to help them to be intentional about that so that every student has the opportunity to succeed. Um, and we're giving an equal opportunity of all students uh, to be successful in these formats um, so that we graduate them college, career, and community ready. And helping the, the youth, look, I've got your vocabulary. I think it's so beautiful. Um, to know that they know, even mm -hmm. the little ones. Mm -hmm. I, I found that to be an extremely valuable point in this conversation, and I really appreciate that because when you know that you know, then you own it. That's right. And that ownership can travel with you to the store, on the school bus, on the playing field, that ownership. 100%, 100%, 100%. There are some folks um, who really emphasize school climate as really the important aspect of social emotional development. It, it really is, uh, but you can't take school climate to the store with you. Like school climate doesn't help you resolve uh, disagreements with your brother or your sister around what you wanna watch on TV um, or your spouse with regards to the future of the relationship. Um, these are competencies. Mm -hmm. uh, school climate is not going to help you when you're on a job collaborate effectively. Mm -hmm. um, so we need to really have faith in our young people mm -hmm. that we can teach them how to relate to themselves and others and solve problems. Um, and that when we teach them those things, they're going to go do that across the spectrum of their life. Um, and that's going to help us as a country. It's going to help us as a community. Um, and it's going to help us in our relationships in our day-to-day -day lives. Faith in our students' ability and also respect for their capacity to, mm -hmm. and willingness and desire to own these skills. Mm -hmm. They just, mm -hmm. they just, who doesn't, who amongst them wouldn't want to know these things? I mean, you know, you talk about the teachers wanting to have this for the kids, but the, the kids want to have it if it's presented in a way that 
makes sense uh, in very practical terms of, yeah, this makes my life better. It makes me feel better about myself. It sure does. And, and we talked about this before, Nini, that um, we all have these social emotional skills. They're developmentally, mm-hmm. we shouldn't say we all, um, outside of some developmental challenges in, yeah. in certain populations, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, we all have some aspects of social emotional skills and competencies. The, the point of the education, the point of the learning um, is to refine these constructs uh, to activate them effectively to solve problems and sometimes to diversify them, right? Your mm-hmm. self-management skill set may be punching a wall and maybe having a social emotional education gives you four or five different uh, strategies that may or not be, maybe a little bit more constructive so that you have a range of ways to, to manage your emotions. Your, your relationship skills may be to shut down and walk away and, and drink alcohol. Um, here are some different options for building relationships like active listening and communication skills that may help you be more constructive. So we all have the things, they just may or may not be meeting our needs, helping us solve problems and be effective in our relationships with ourselves and others. And then um, I I saw a lot of uh, the term student-centered learning. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if you could give us, you've been wonderful about giving us examples and I really, really appreciate that for the listeners. Um, Can you give us some examples of student-centered learning that are specific um, for maybe for the youngest kids and maybe for the middle school and for the high school? Sure. I mean, I think when you look at the social emotional dimensions of learning, um, we get to understand that things like decision-making can be really embedded into how we approach instruction and teaching and learning. Um, A really simple example of that is in many preschool classrooms, the use of stations uh, to give students choice around how they're going to engage with their time um, is an important aspect of teaching students how to engage with their time. And when we teach students to think through, did I like that? Did I not like that? Self-awareness, students are awareness of their needs and emotions, students are aware of their strengths and challenges, their likes and dislikes. Mm -hmm. Um, We're empowering young people to say, yeah, you know, I really like playing with airplanes um, or or playing with another piece. Uh, Example from my own life, right, is uh, we give our two sons, Elijah and Isaiah, allowance. It's $4 a week for both of my sons. It's gone up to $5 this year. and in fact, like we have this little credit card that we put it in. It's really exciting. Um, but the goal How old are here, they? They're How eight and nine. Okay. Uh, but the goal here is really to teach them how to make decisions, right? So yeah. like, what's the price of that thing? Uh, how much money do I have? Um, can I purchase this thing or should I purchase this thing given the amount of money I had? Uh, self-management. Uh, am I going to spend my money every week or am I going to try and save my money for that big stuffed animal that I really want? Um, goal-directed behavior. Uh, I really want that stuffed animal. Let me start to start to think about my $4 a week in a way that allows me to get to, to purchase that. So it's really less about the $4 or the $5 yeah, and much yeah. more about yeah. how it enables my, my, my children to make decisions. Yeah. Um, Another example we think about in middle school in terms of student-centered learning and how it interacts with social-emotional learning 
and this is so important, um, is just making sure that students are debriefed around assessment outcomes, right? Uh, are, are we doing assessment to students? Or are we doing assessment with students? So uh, students have a sense of their strengths and challenges uh, and they go home yeah. and say, you know what? I should double, double up my, my, my math time and maybe spend a little less time on this thing, right? Like uh, I understand who I am as a learner, right? I understand who I am as a person. So it, it's really these links between instructional approaches, assessment approaches, and the social and emotional dimensions of learning that matter. Um, in high school, it's everything from student council, allowing students to make decisions. Um, and again, right, a lot of folks sometimes they say student voice, you know, and then students say something, uh, and it's it's really not all that realistic. I, and it, it's as important to say, like, we don't have the resourcing for that, uh, but here are some options that we could do, or if you can come up with some solution sets that allow us to resource that, that's real life, right? It's not just student voice and having kids say, you know, we want a fourth floor on our school. Yeah. And then principal's like, yes, yeah, great. Thank you for your contribution. <laughs> but putting them in real situations where they have to yeah. make real decisions, go back to their students and say, hey, uh, this is what we're looking at. Here are the constraints. Uh, what is your recommendations? And then going back to the student council and saying, given these four priorities, this is the one that we're going to push forth. That's that's adulthood. And that's what we're preparing students for. And that's when you are really thinking about social and emotional skill sets. You don't have to talk about the four levels of student voice. You just think about decision-making and responsibility. And then you recognize if students are not in positions of responsibility, then how can they actually use that voice to make a difference. So those are some examples of ways that we integrate these concepts throughout all the functions of our school in order to develop the social, emotional, and academic skill sets of our young people. And the thread is practical, realistic, and relevant. Relevant, relevant, relevant. And respect, you know, I just, oh my gosh, love it. So, um, did, did we didn't get an overview of the urban assembly its origins its founder mm -hmm. and then if you don't mind how you came to be urban assembly ceo maybe we talked about that before in this conversation but i, I would really love I, I totally wholeheartedly applaud their brilliant choice of you but i'd love to hear just a little bit on the history of urban assembly. sure sure yeah. so um the Urban Assembly has a mission of enhancing the economic and social mobility of young people by improving public education. Uh, we were started in 1997 by Richard Kahan um, with an emphasis on improving quality access to high quality schools. Uh, started in the Bronx, um, the first principal of the Urban Assembly School for Law, Government, and Justice in the Bronx uh, was David Banks, who was the current chancellor of New York City uh, Public Schools. The second principal of the Urban Assembly Bronx School for Law, Government, and Justice was Misha Porter, uh, who was the departing chancellor for New York City Public Schools. Um, and from that first school, we moved to 23 schools uh, with, throughout New York City, focusing on um, enhancing the academics and social outcomes of young people and economic outcomes of young people. Um, by providing inputs around academics, social emotional development, and college and career readiness. Um, so we serve about 9,000 kids um, in New York City at, in our schools. And as I said before, we also um, provide programming and supports and uh, consultation uh, to New York City Department of Education um, and to 
uh, departments of education across the country. Um, a little bit about Richard Kahan, our founder. Um, Richard uh, founded the Urban Assembly to really look at um, the role that lack of access to high quality education mm -hmm. was playing in the cycle of poverty mm -hmm. um, and really invested in, in schools and in, invests in schools as a opportunity uh, to break that cycle of poverty by mm -hmm. enhancing economic and social mobility. And so that's why you see the relationship between the Urban Assembly and things like post-secondary readiness, um, CTE programs, career and technical education, social and emotional learning. Because uh, we really see education not just as the facts and figures that are imparted into students, um, but really uh, understanding what does it mean to be educated and what role our schools can play in producing educated young people. Mm. Um, and when we do that well, and we do, um, <laughs> we have young people who are con contributing to college and their careers and the community in ways that reflect the inputs that we've hoped to, to organize. Beautiful. Beautiful, thank you. Um, so I know that Urban Assembly uh, Social Emotional Learning Team hosts an annual SEL symposium. Yes. Where does that happen? Is it available to participate online? What more would you like us to know? Well, before we get there, okay. Jean, let me tell you about SEL Day that is happening in March 11th that the SEL, uh, sorry, that the Urban Assembly and SEL for US has sponsored for the last three years. Okay. Um, and SEL Day is the opportunity across the world called International SEL Day to celebrate uh, the work that folks have invested in, invested in social emotional learning have been doing. And last year, we actually had 14 million impressions um, on Twitter, celebrating uh, folks across the world working SEL Day. Wow. Um, we had all 50 states involved. Um, we had over 1,500 school districts uh, support the work around social emotional learning. We had eight proclamations in states like Texas and New York, New, sorry, New Jersey, Delaware, um, Connecticut. Uh, for example, we had SEL Day read into the House of Represent Representatives uh, official proclamation. So uh, the most important thing that schools can do and your listeners can do to get involved is go to selday.org, sign up, make a pledge uh, to promote SEL, uh, to support SEL, mm -hmm. and there are a number of things you can do. Um, we have letters to the editor templates, we have proclamation templates, mm -hmm. um, we have activity templates, and all these things that your mm -hmm. listeners can do to support social emotional learning and make sure that we have not just a moment, but a movement. Mm. Um, so that's the first thing I wanted to make sure that we get that pitch across for. Good, good, good. Um, and our SEL symposium is in process, so we don't have a date yet. Um, we're just planning it in terms of getting that off the, off the, uh, off the ground. Um, but we're looking for it to occur in April and, uh, we're going to be having some guests from across the country again. Um, and really focusing on high quality SEL integration. Like what does SEL look like um, across the school um, school day, as well as the after school day uh, with out of school time providers um, and all the iterations of social emotional school development. Is that all? That's all. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> all right. Um, thank you, David. Thank you. Um, I will put all of this information, um, you know, I'll put it in the show's notes. And this will also be available on Zoom, I mean, um, YouTube, and also just an Apple podcast or wherever people listen to podcasts. So it'll awesome. be all over the place. And it's just an honor to talk to you. And thank goodness there's you. 
Oh, thank you for having me, Janine. I really appreciate your time in this and uh, I look forward to, to working with you again in the near future. I would love it. I would love it. Thank you very much. Bye. Please check this show's notes for more info and for the link to the YouTube recording of this conversation, which has some visuals that I hope you will find valuable. Meantime, the website for Urban Assembly is urbanassembly.org, and the link for SEL Day is sel.org. Couldn't be easier. Please remember you are warmly invited to attend the worldwide online event on Friday, March 11th. 2022. Thank you again for being here and learning together with me. Till next time.